Hello, podcast world, and welcome to my little closet studio here in Durban, South Africa. My name is Skip Collins. I am the host, producer, engineer, and coffee maker for the podcast. In other words, it's just me, my closet, and my wandering thoughts about God and faith and Christianity. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. I've called today's podcast Creation, Evolution, and the Expanding Universe. But before we are done, I also want to talk about what it all has to do with us and our lives and the current religious climate in our world today. In other words, why does it actually matter? So let's jump right into the deep end. Where did we all come from? How has all that we know and see as reality come into being? Where and when and how did it all begin? For most of my life, I would have said, hey, that's easy. Just read Genesis 1 and 2. I'll come back to that in a moment, but let me start with what science is telling us. Most scientists agree that the universe is about 13.8 billion years old. The consensus is that at a particular moment in time, there was a massive explosion from one single point that started the process of creation. The energy of this explosion created particles. Scientists believe that almost immediately, like three minutes into the life of the universe, these particles started to join together and they formed protons and neutrons. From that point, it took another 300,000 years for the universe to cool down to like the temperature of the sun, which I think is like 6,000 degrees. But once it did those protons and neutrons started to combine to create the first stable atoms. Then sometimes during the next 300 million years, those atoms began to bond together to create molecules. At about the 400 million year mark, Stars came into being, and a billion years into this process, there began the first cluster of planets, and eight billion years later, so like nine billion years in, our galaxy was actually formed. So for nine billion years, the universe had been expanding and growing and becoming more complex. But this is where it really starts to get good. So at around the 10 billion year mark, molecules began to join together to create cells. And at about 13 billion years, since this massive explosion, life is born. First animals and then human beings. 
Now, that is a very oversimplified kindergarten version of the creation of the universe, because to be honest, that's all my little mind can comprehend. But I find it all incredibly fascinating. We are part of a universe that is ever-expanding, ever-growing, ever-recreating itself, always moving forward, always becoming bigger than itself, always moving from chaos to order. Have you ever noticed how grounded you feel, how connected you feel when you take on something that is bigger than you are? It's the direction, it's the flow of the entire universe moving forward, ever-expanding, ever-growing, and moving from chaos to order as things come together. Okay, I want to come back to that in a moment, but let's stop and talk about the elephant in the room. So what about the Bible? Doesn't the Bible have something very different to say about the story of creation? Yes, it does. There is a conservative Christian view of the origins of the universe that stands very much opposed to the theory that I laid out. And just to be fair, it's not just TV preachers or sandwich board wearing street evangelists that say so. There are some highly respected theologians and highly respected scientists although they're quite in the minority these days. In fact, if one is a literalist when it comes to the Bible, one has to disagree with the theory of evolution. First of all, Genesis 1 describes the creation of the universe as taking six days. Creationists hold true to this view and make strong arguments to defend it. In their mind, if this argument fails, if this falls apart, then our trust in the entire Bible, our trust in our, in our whole of our faith just falls apart. Six days or nothing. Full stop. Now, there is a debate among those who want to hold true to Genesis 1 and 2, as to how long a day is. But many hold the theory that it has to be a 24-hour day as we know it, but there are some who try to blend the two stories together by quoting a couple of passages, one from the Apostle Peter, where he says, A day is like a thousand years to God, and a thousand years is like a day. For me... I've come to the conclusion that the stories in Genesis 1 and 2 are not to be understood as actually happening the way the stories say that they did. In fact, the two stories don't even agree on how it happened, and so you even have to do some pretty crazy theological gymnastics to make them do so. I've told this story before but it's worth repeating. I heard it on a liturgist podcast, and I think it was Mike Gunger that told the story, but I could be wrong about that. He said one day he overheard his wife reading a story to their child from the Bible, and the child asked, Mom, did this really happen? Her mom's reply was, 
It doesn't matter, darling, because it's true. If you ask me if Genesis 1 and 2 actually happened, I would say it really doesn't matter because it's true. It has taken me many years of turmoil within myself to give up on the idea of the biblical version of creation as the way it actually happened. And when I say turmoil, I'm not exaggerating. It was like letting go of an old friend. It was hard. It was even longer before I could use the word myth when talking about the creation story. Do I think it's a myth? Yes. But here's the thing with myths. They present no facts, but they contain much truth. What would happen if we stopped looking for the facts in Genesis 1 and 2 and just started seeing the truth? So what is the truth that I see? Well, let me tell you, I could spend a long time here, but let me just give you a few things. I love the first sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Whether or not we agree on how this whole thing played out, we agree on this. In the beginning, God. Some people believe that the whole story, the whole theory that I put out there earlier, or Darwin's theory of evolution, take God completely out of the story as the author of life. It's like if I believe that, then I can't believe in God. When I read the story of creation over 13.8 billion years, it only reinforces my belief in a God who set this whole thing in motion and who is a part of this entire process. I think it would take much more faith for me to see all of this amazing detail as just chance. In the beginning, God. Secondly, this story is about creating order out of chaos. You see it so clearly in Genesis chapter 1. The earth comes from this void, light from darkness, plants and vegetation spring from the ground, and on and on. Order comes from chaos over and over and over. It just couldn't be more clear. Third, there are two different pictures in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 of how humanity was created. In chapter 1, it says man and woman were created in the image of God. In chapter 2, it says that God breathed life into man. I love both of those images. God's image, God's life implanted in us, in all of humanity. 
I don't know how that works in all of the creation process, but I do believe that the creation of humanity is something different than all the rest of creation. We are not just cells and molecules that are put together. We think, we feel, we love, we cry, we get angry, we'll feel pain, we feel joy. The life of God, the image of God implanted in us. One more truth that I'll mention for now, although there is actually pretty much endless truths in these first two chapters in Genesis. It's in the story of Genesis 1. God looks back on all that he has created, and he says, it is very good. Is that how God sees the universe? Is that how God sees me? Very good? Because that's not what I've been taught. I was taught that God is pretty much pissed off at everything, including me. But God sat back somewhere in this whole process of creation, and he looks at it and he says, whoa, this is really good. Man, just that truth, that one truth changes everything. Let's take a step back from Genesis 1 and 2 and talk a bit about how we, as Christians, view science in general. Here's the question. Do we interpret the Bible through science or science through the Bible? In other words, when science and the Bible conflict, do we go with science first or the Bible first? The argument that I proposed for years is that the Bible can't be wrong, so there must be things we don't understand about science. I don't think that's a terrible argument because every day we are learning things about science that we didn't know yesterday. Science changes as we learn more. Just take the science around what is healthy to eat. Red meat is bad. No, red meat isn't bad. Bread is bad. Or refined sugar is okay, but then 20 years later, refined sugar is the enemy. Science changes and grows all the time. Don't wear a mask. It won't protect you against the coronavirus. And then, oh no, everybody wear masks. See, we have not figured all this stuff out. We are learning and we are growing. We're ever figuring out the science. But at the same time, There are things in the Bible that are just flat out wrong, scientifically speaking. In Job, for example, it appears that God is saying the earth is flat. It comes amidst this wonderful conversation between God and Job, and I just love because of God's a little bit cheeky in this conversation. So let me start with verse 4. God is speaking to Job, and he says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have an understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or in other words, who put the measuring tape and measured this thing out? Makes it sound like it's flat. Or jump down to verse 12. God says, Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by its edges? See, the earth seems to be flat. In Revelation and Isaiah, it speaks about the four corners of the earth. 
and the Bible seems to affirm that the earth is flat. But then you come to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, and it says, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. Here the earth seems to be round. So which is it? If you read the Bible thinking that every scientific point has to be correct, you run into all sorts of problems. Of course, there are people who do the incredible theological gymnastics once again to try to prove the Bible is right, even when it speaks to science, um, but it seems much easier and much more responsible to understand that the Bible is not trying to be correct on every point of science. What you see in the stories and the poems and this history of the Jewish people is how the people that wrote the text understood science at that time. Of course they thought the earth was flat. It seems pretty flat from where I sit, but then I've seen pictures taken from space, and I realize it's not flat at all. The Bible is not trying to be correct in every mention of science. Let's don't try to make it into something it's not. Okay, if I can head down just a little bit of a rabbit trail for just a minute, there's one thing on this topic that I think might be worth exploring, and that is, what is our role in the environment and climate change? What should a Christian's response be on this issue? Now, I know this is a very politically charged argument, and I wish I could say, let's take politics out of it, but that's probably unrealistic. But here's what I would say. Christians should be leading the way when it comes to caring for the environment. Okay, let me give you one more truth from Genesis 1 and 2, and that is this. The earth is ours to care for. It's ours to steward. It's our job, not somebody else's, but we don't talk enough about that. I'm sure this is worthy of a whole podcast down the road, but for now, I think there are two reasons that Christians are not more concerned about the environment and climate change. One is because we have already disregarded science when it comes to the Bible, so therefore we think we have license to disregard all of science. When scientists tell us that something is bad for the environment, we can just ignore it. We can take their advice if we want to, but it has nothing to do with our faith, nothing to do with our Christianity. We just leave all the, all the environmental stuff for the tree huggers. We don't talk about that in our Bible study groups. We don't talk about it from our pulpits, not, at least not nearly enough. We have been given this job to care for the world and the environment. We can't just ignore that. Secondly, another reason I think is that we have so minimalized the kingdom of God. Because we have boiled down the kingdom of God just to be about my personal relationship with God and getting to heaven when I die. We have bastardized what Jesus was talking about when he spoke about the kingdom of God. 
personally, I think that caring for the environment is actually part of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. So, my friends, care for the environment. Recycle. Work on your energy footprints. Be aware of your impact on the world. Do everything you can to leave this world better than you found it. Okay. With all that said, let me come back to the point that the universe is always moving forward, always expanding, always becoming more complex and more unified. The French philosopher Pierre de Chardin said that progress is the soul of the universe. I love it. Progress is the soul of the universe. I'm sure you know that your body is made up of hundreds of billions of cells. Each day, many of your cells, billions of them actually die. And then new cells are created to take their place. In fact, scientists tell us that every 7 to 10 years, every cell in our body has been recreated. How crazy is that? I mean, there have been like seven of me in my lifetime. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Um, the human body is always growing, always recreating, always progressing. That's the movement of the universe. In the last episode, we spoke about the kingdom of God. I have a lot more to say about this over time. Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God more than any other subject. He said that the kingdom of God was here and it was yet to come. He said the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is around you. Once he said the kingdom of God is like yeast. You put it in the dough and knead it in and it grows and it progresses and it recreates itself. Then he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. There's this tiny little seed that can grow into a great tree. So this is my point of the entire podcast. We, my friends, are meant to grow. We are meant to progress. We are meant to move forward. But in order for things to be recreated, something dies. Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it can't produce fruit. In order for our cells to reproduce, they have to die first. In order for us to grow, to move forward, to learn, there are things we have to let go of. There are ideas, yes, even about God and the Bible and faith, that we have to let die. It is how the entire universe progresses. Growth and change is never easy, because to move forward, you have to let something go. In John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene and a few other women went to the tomb on Sunday morning after Jesus was crucified. The stone was rolled away and Jesus' body was gone. 
The other women run to tell the disciples, but Mary Magdalene stays behind, and in doing so, she comes face to face with the risen Jesus. When she realizes it's him, she goes to grab him, but Jesus stops her. And he says to her, don't cling to me, Mary. It's like he's saying, everything is changing now. Everything is moving forward, and you are going to have to let me go. Growth and change is never easy, because to move forward, you have to let something go. So often, we want things to stay just as they are. I mean, how often have you heard parents tell their kids, don't ever grow up? I want everything to stay just the way it is. Or, or sometimes we would actually like to go back to the way it used to be. We long for the good old days. But the universe doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. Everything is moving forward. I was having a very impromptu conversation with some friends the other day. And we started talking about a new way of seeing faith and understanding the Bible. And the question they asked was, why? Why do we need to do that? This is what we've always believed, and why should that change now? Well, it's a good question. If that works for you, I guess it's okay, but my brain doesn't work like that. I'm always questioning and wondering and doubting. For years, I've tried to make all of this work together. It's like I had a new piece to a puzzle, but there was no place to put it in the puzzle. And I had to take out one or two of the old pieces in order to replace it with a new piece. See, I think that's what deconstruction of our faith is all about. It's not just about blowing everything up. It's about being willing to let go of some of the old ideas and beliefs in order to move forward to something new and something better. Progress is the soul of the universe. As I share these thoughts with you, the world is in the midst of a kind of awakening around the subject of race and racism and disparity. Phrases like Black Lives Matter and white privilege are a normal part of many of our conversations these days. There are riots and protests all over the world that have been sparked by the killing of George Floyd in the United States. But this isn't the first time this has happened. In America, there was a civil war that was fought primarily to end slavery. And then there was the civil rights movement in the 1960s, the LA riots in 1992, the Ferguson riots in 2014. In South Africa, the struggle against apartheid has been going on and on. Back in 1976 was the Soweto Youth Uprising that really changed the trajectory of the struggle here in South Africa. There was hanging of the Sharpeville Six that spurred protest all over the world. Nelson Mandela's release from prison in 1990. 
Around the world, there have been incidents and protests and riots that have pushed our thinking, that have moved us forward, that changed our views, and that made us better people. Now, one could easily argue that it's not enough and it's not fast enough, but that's a debate for another time. What I see right now is the George Floyd incident has once again opened the conversation and forced us to look at ourselves and our systems one more time. It is compelling us forward to a new day and a new vision. It's challenging racism and white supremacy. It's challenging our thinking on policing and history. It's forcing us past rhetoric and into action. There's no question, however, that this progress is difficult. There are some that would like to stay right where we are, or at least they would rather move this whole thing to a slower pace. I get that. But the truth is, that is not an option. Everything is moving forward. Let me see if I can wrap all this up and make some sense out of it. When I look at the creation of the universe and the world that I see, the world that I live in, I see this picture of a world that is always moving forward, always expanding, always growing, coming from chaos to order. I want that to be the story of my life. I don't ever want to get stagnant. I want to learn and grow and move forward. I want to be willing to leave behind the things that have served me well up to this point, but no longer do. I want to be better. So I hope that gives you some things to think about for a while. If you have thoughts, ideas, questions, drop me a line. I would love to hear from you on this subject. Also, if you have an extra dollar a month or more that you could live without and you want to support the cause, go to my Patreon page, patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Skip Collins. Um, FYI for my South African friends, You can use a local credit card just fine. It just means your $1 will fluctuate a bit from month to month. Right now, the dollar is at about 17 rands. You can drop out or change your donation at any time if the rand dollar exchange goes through the roof. So that is it for today. I hope you have a great week ahead. Keep safe. Shalom. Shalom.